Some people believe that marijuana actually slows down your perception of time. But does it do something even more drastic every time you toke? And then we take a look at the man known as Tesla, world-famous inventor who died in abject poverty. Pretty famous dude. There's a car named after him. But did you know that this guy also is from Venus? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys have a lot of fun things to do today. Not tomorrow, just today. I hope you cram in all the fun stuff and then you take a nap tomorrow. First off, let's give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Matt Sprinkle. Everyone give a round of applause to Matt Sprinkle doing cartwheels while he enters the room. Doing a little bow, doing a little bow. It's a little little ostentatious, Matt, but that's okay. You, you deserve it. You're a Patreon supporter. Matt, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, guys, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. So, Matt, I'm going to toss you the keys of the Jason Jet, give you a little pair of aviator glasses. I throw them and you catch them all cool and put them on. Let's hop on the Jason Jet. Fly us out of here, Matt. We are going to a secret government facility. Somewhere in the middle of America. We get there. We're wearing our lab coats, walking around. And we notice that all the other scientists are just kind of like sitting sitting there. They're just all kind of sitting there. All the scientists are just kind of chilling out. We notice that like the laboratories, some of their equipment's been cleared out. And there's like beanbag chairs everywhere. Like this is a guy. He's looking at a lava lamp through a microscope. He's like groovy, dude. We hear someone coughing in the distance of the laboratory. We round the corner. And we see a couple of scientists with a big fat joint in their hands. And they hold it to us like a 3D movie. They're holding it right to the camera. They're like, want a toke, bro? A little, little cliffhanger. Freeze frame, a little cliffhanger. We know that marijuana use, one of the side effects of it is that it slows down time. What it does is it speeds up the user's measurement of time. It doesn't actually slow time down. Don't go play baseball and be like, oh, I can totally catch this ball now. Time goes, quote-unquote, normal. It's fairly relative, but time will move at a normal pitch for everyone around you. But for someone who's high, everything seems to go by much, much slower. And this is something that scientists have actually tested. I'm sure the scientists are like, I'll be in the, I'll be in the group. I'll, I'll volunteer my body for science. You get stoned, and then you have to gauge how long you've been in that room. They've even done it to rats. Or they've gotten rats high, which would be an amazing job as a scientist. Imagine going into school for six years and you're just blowing smoke. You're hot boxing mice. You're like, dude, they get the rats high. And they said it was they had this thing set up where they'd the rats every, let's say, three minutes. It was a timed interval. Every three minutes, the rat could walk up, hit a button and food would roll out. And the rat was trained that they could hit the button as much as they wanted. But it would only come out after, say, three minutes. So the rats started to learn, oh, it's, I'm hungry. I mean, how much do you have to eat every three minutes? Those must be the fattest rats in the world. They're like, oh, no more experimentation. But anyway, so these rats were trained that food would only come out every three minutes. So they only started hitting it once every three minutes, a little food would come out because otherwise it was useless. When they got the rats stoned, though, they kept hitting the button again. Like, kept, like, hitting it, think, thinking that three minutes had passed. It wasn't like they were like, come on, give me food, give me food. They, I'm sure they had the munchies, too. 
But they would hit the button and wait for the food to come out, and it would dawn on them, oh, dude, maybe it hasn't been three minutes yet. So he'd walk away, and then he'd come back. He's like, oh, man, I'm so hungry. It's been three minutes. Ding. Nothing. He's like, oh, man, no. Next time it'll... And they basically, it slows down time perception in mice. So marijuana does affect your ability to perceive time. So my theory is this. That's kind of a long preamble, but my theory is this. I'll wrap this up. I have a theory. If weed messes with time perception, what is time but perception? Now, sure, you can buy a pumpkin and watch it rot. Isn't that a passage of time? Yeah, but you can take a big enough object and actually warp time. Time isn't this constant thing. It's actually pretty gooey, really. So here we go, guys. If you've smoked weed, you'll know that the earliest times of smoking weed are super, super strong. And then as time goes on, you actually seem to get less stone. Now, there's a couple caveats there, but hear me out. For the most part, you start smoking, the weed kicks a lot harder. Assuming you're smoking anything decent and not bammer that you bought from your cousin. Good stuff. You get totally blazed. But as time goes on, the weed doesn't kick like it used to. Eventually, you taper out because the return of investment isn't worth it. You're like, I'd rather drink a beer or rather ride a bike or go running or something like that. Or do nothing, just sit there, you're too lazy to smoke weed. My theory is this. The first time you get high, time distorts so much that you are smoking with every future you that's smoking. So you take that hit and 10,000 other yous hitting that joint, ripping that bong, eating that edible... However else you do with those only three ways I know. I'm sure now you can inject it or something like that. Topicals. The first time you get high, it's every future you getting high. But as time goes on, there's less future versions of you to get high with. So eventually you're like, yeah, it just doesn't kick like it used to. Just doesn't kick. Because the future you has already stopped smoking. So by the time you're in your late 20s, in the future you stopped smoking at age 32. It just doesn't hit that special button inside of you. I don't know any other analogies. Weed's like, boop, hits a little button. But you go, Jason, that's just because of tolerance buildup. You can actually take a break from weed for a year or several years. I used to smoke a lot when I was in my early 20s, took a break, smoked again in my early 30s, haven't smoked in years. But even then, after that tolerance, I didn't take a tolerance break. I just didn't want to smoke anymore. When I started smoking again, it wasn't as strong as it was when I was younger. It was still good, but it wasn't as strong. Hugo Jason, I've smoked weed for 40 years, and it's never gotten less. Like, sure, I've had to up it a little bit, or I've taken a, a break here and there to kind of reduce my tolerance, but I've been smoking for 40 years straight. <laughs> I'm only 43 years old, Jason. That's because the future yous keep smoking. You are a lifelong pothead. No, no insult intended there. But you're just one of those people who are going to smoke like Willie Nelson till the day you die. So you don't have a future use running out. The weed high stays. You go, Jason, I actually, that doesn't make sense at all because I smoked, I don't know, three or four times in college. I absolutely hated it. It wasn't because the future use stopped smoking after four or five times. Marijuana may distort time so much it breaks it. The Really, the only difference between you now and future you is little clicks of an atomic clock. But if future you was standing on the edge of a black hole, first off, I'm sorry that that happened to you. Whatever chain of events got you to stand on the 
edge of a black hole, time is not the same anymore. Even on a planet that's bigger, that distorts the time-space continuum, the time-space plane, things are going to be different. So time is super malleable. And your brain can already do so much amazing things. Who's not to say... And you're like, Jason, there's a lot of people who would say that smoking weed doesn't let you reach across time. But I don't know. I don't know. Think about it. (laughs) Think about it the next time you're getting stoned if you still smoke weed. I think that it may distort time so much. It's not just a matter of you going, dude, we've been playing Super Smash Brothers for like hours, but I just looked at my watch. First off, I have a watch for some weird reason. I didn't have one before I started smoking tonight. I just looked at my watch and we've only been playing for five minutes. That's pretty normal with smoking weed. But then you turn to your buddy and you look and that buddy is you 30 years from now. A joint hanging out of their mouth. A gleam in their eye. Going, get wrecked, noob. (laughs) Because apparently, apparently they're a total dork and they're using that phraseology 30 years from now. But they beat you at the game is what I'm saying. So... I think that's my theory. When you smoke weed, you're smoking with f- future versions of you. Here's a question, actually. When you get super stoned next time you do, you might be super stoned right now. You think to yourself, future me, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing right now? And I wonder if you can send a message in the future. Actually, that's just opening yourself up to a bunch of ghosts showing up. Don't do that. But Matt, let's go ahead and leave behind this laboratory of a bunch of stoners. Call in that carpenter copter. We are headed out to... New York City. We were just here yesterday. But we have to make a return to the Big Apple. Land that carpenter copter in the middle of Times Square. As we're landing, we all yell at the same time, Hey, we're landing here! And we laugh to ourselves. The streets are empty, actually. I think they're in another lockdown right now. We can land the helicopter wherever. While Matt is hot-wiring a parked car so he can drive us around New York City. I turn to you guys and I say, This is a really interesting story. A quick overview, though. Quick overview. Nikolai Tesla, he was a contemporary of Thomas Edison, a genius inventor. A lot of people felt he was ahead of his time, way ahead of his time. He invented a remote control boat in like 1920 or 1930 or something like that. Some of the other people, it would seem magical. I don't know if I didn't think they had radios back then. People are trying to listen to like Howdy Doody and it's like they just hear boat engines coming over their radio. But he had all this crazy stuff. We'll get into more of it later because it'll play a part in the story. But he's now become a cult figure. There was a long period of time where Nikolai Tesla was truly a fringe scientist. He died destitute. Thomas Edison hated his guts, was constantly sabotaging him. He died. He was basically getting a $500 monthly allowance from Czechoslovakia, which $500 back then, that's that's not money to sneeze at. That's pretty good money. But he died poor anyways because he had a bunch of, you know how much it costs to buy bolts for Frankenstein Monster's neck? Buy those mad scientist wigs cost a lot of money. Tesla, for a long time, was considered, like, fringe. He wasn't somebody a lot of people knew about. Basically, you had to be uber nerd or a paranormal nerd to know about Nikolai Tesla. Now he's very famous. There's movies and cartoons and comic books made about him. There's a car made about him. Now when someone has a shirt that says, I love Tesla, you know that shirt doesn't mean they're a fan of the car company. Maybe they are. But it's most likely a reference to this uber nerd geek scientist Stuff like that. So he has, I guess now I feel, now I'm kind of being a hipster. I'm like, I knew him before he was cool. Obviously, I've been researching this stuff for decades. I was aware of Nikolai Tesla stuff. That's why I'm brushing over a bunch of it. I imagine you guys have a passing knowledge of Tesla at this point, either through pop culture or actually doing research on him. But did you know 
fair traveler. Matt finally has the taxi cab hotwired. He's given us a ride around. Did you know that Nikolai Tesla... Well, <laughs> I'm going to let the headline speak for itself. This is the headline from howandwise.com. FBI Vault. Nikola Tesla... Nikola, Nikola, I think is actually how you pronounce it. Doesn't matter. Nikola Tesla was brought to Earth by Vesuvians in a spacecraft. I don't know why they had that last part. I don't think they did like a Hail Mary passing through on Earth. FBI vault. Nikola Tesla was brought to Earth by Vesuvians, by Venetians, by people from Venus. Okay, the point is, is that the FBI vault had a document saying that this episode's going off the rails. Tesla was brought to Earth from Venus. Now, i got to say this, too, again, really briefly, because we have a ton of stuff to cover. The FBI vault, we see this happen all the time. The FBI vault, someone will find a document and they'll say, FBI says, or FBI has a document claiming that Mars used to have a bunch of people on it. That the Adam and Eve story took place on Mars. There, uh, there was remote viewing on Mars, da-da-da-da-da. FBI is not saying that. FBI has documents from the Monroe Foundation, which we've covered before, that say that. The FBI has never gone on the record about whether or not there are secret bases on Mars from 300,000 years ago. The FBI vault just gobbles up, and any information they think may be important that day or 100 years from now. They simply gobbled all this stuff up, and at a certain point, they do a Freedom of Information Act, and so they dumped a bunch of documents that FBI had on Tesla. So... They're not actually saying that. That would be the equivalent of someone coming over to your house, seeing a Spider-Man comic book, and assuming you are Spider-Man. Or at least you know him. Because you have documents pertaining to the existence of Spider-Man. It's the same thing. This claim that Tesla came from outer space actually came from a document that's in the FBI vault. It's from the Interplanetary Sessions newsletter. Dated June 14th, 1957. So way after Tesla has passed away, they have this document. Margaret Storm is writing a book about Tesla called Return of the Dove. Now, when she was writing this book, she got access to what's known as a Tesla set. It's one of the many inventions he was working on. The Tesla set was something that he had diagrams for, but he was never able to invent himself. He drew it out in 1938. He died in 1943. It wasn't until after his death that they actually were able to build this. And using the Tesla set, they got this message from space aliens. Also known as the space people, which is like the most generic name. But apparently they're good at communicating with aliens, but not good with naming them. This is the story. Tesla was born on Venus. And then he was brought to Earth and given to Mr. and Mrs. Tesla to raise him. That's why all of his inventions are so weird. Because he's actually not from this planet. So we have that. We have this interesting story. Tesla's from outer space. That's why he was so ahead of his time. Fine, whatever. But you have to take this document in context. This document also says, we don't know if Margaret Storm will be able to finish her book by June 30th. Now this newsletter was coming out June 14th, 1957. Why is it so important for her to have her book finished by June 30th? July 1st, 1957. Do you guys remember reading about this in the history books? From 9 a.m. to 7 p.m., massive UFO fleets hovered over every major city in the United States. Do you remember that? you remember that? Because that's what this newsletter is actually predicting. On June 14th, the author is saying, listen, guys, I hope she has this book done by June 30th, because by July 1st, we'll all know the truth. There'll be UFOs everywhere. 
And he makes these predictions that at 9 a.m. first they're over like Washington, D.C. And then like at 3 p.m. they're over a couple other cities. And I don't know where they're taking their time. They're an alien fleet. Time where it's different for them. They're super stoned. But he does give this caveat. Obviously, that didn't happen. He gives this caveat like everybody making predictions. He goes, the alien fleets are coming down. They're tired of us. Uh, having nuclear weapons, polluting the environment, all that stupid nonsense. And then he goes, but, but, if you don't see any UFOs, that's because the government chased, <laughs> chased them away. Chased them away. So, I mean, that's a, I mean, I here's the thing. There, you could go, Jason, maybe there were UFOs and the government chased them away. I don't remember reading the history books either about every fighter jet in the United States being launched on July 1st, chasing them away. But anyway, so, that's a good out, right? You, you make a prediction. It's going to happen two weeks from now. Get everyone riled up, but also say, you know, it could be wrong. <laughs> it could be wrong, but not because of me, not because I'm making this up. It's because of some sort of external force. That's the article that is written on howandwise.com. But that's not the whole story. This is so weird. I don't know why. I know why howandwise.com, and I know why a lot of websites would focus on that particular story. Because it's sexy with aliens and stuff like that. A little, little, little Tesla coming down from Venus. But in that same dump of documents, that same FBI dump of documents, this is what I found. This is no joke. This is 100% real. Actual FBI memorandums written by special agents. We have a copy of a document made on January 9th, 1943. The document is addressed to a Mr. Foxworth. Most likely, Percy Foxworth, who was the chief of the FBI's Special Intelligence Service. Tesla had died on the 7th of January. So this is the document's only being crafted two days after Tesla died. So Tesla died on the 7th. And the day that he died, a Mr. A. N. Spanel contacts the FBI. That rhymes. But <laughs> this whole thing's not a Dr. Seuss thing. The agent in question was Special Agent Fred Cornells. And he's the one drafting this document investigating this case. The day that Tesla died, Mr. Spanel called the FBI and said, listen, I don't know how much you know about Tesla. I don't know if you know how to pronounce his first name, Nikola Tesla, but he's been working on a lot of crazy stuff. And if that stuff gets into the wrong hands in 1943, when World War II is still going on, it's not going to be good. One of his distant relatives, one of Tesla's distant relatives, and someone who Tesla had told people that he hated, was his nephew, Sava Kosanovich, from Czechoslovakia. Mr. Spanel says, listen, this nephew's coming here, and he's trying to get Tesla's notes. And I'll be honest, he's been in America for a couple months, but if he gets these notes, I think he's going to give them to the enemy. So you guys need to secure this location. I don't think you guys know what he's working on over there. Mr. Spanel explains, listen, I work for the government. Like an outsider, I work with the government. I work on sciencey stuff. I know Tesla, and I know him through acquaintances as well. You got to take care of this. And the special agent goes, yeah, okay, you know, we'll look into it. Hangs it up. Special agent starts writing up the report. He doesn't really know who Tesla is. This guy's calling him, making these claims. The phone rings a couple minutes later, and Agent Cornell picks it up. And it's Mr. Spanel again. He goes, yeah, remember how I told you how I worked for the government? And special agent's like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, I just talked to the vice president's personal assistant. You are ordered to go and secure that location right now. That's coming from the top. The FBI gets the ball rolling. The next day, January 8th, 
the FBI contacts Blois Fitzgerald. That's that's a great name, Blois. Blois Fitzgerald, who was Tesla's protege. They call him in for an interview and they say, hey, so what's going on with this Tesla guy? We know he passed away. We're being told he has all these documents. And Blois goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, He built a new type of torpedo. And they're like, what? He's like a brand new, this torpedo has never been seen before. It's this design and the FBI just kind of writing it down. They're like, yeah, we don't want that falling into enemy hands. And Blois goes, he also has documents about a wireless energy. It's a way that you can actually just transmit energy. No more plugs, no more outlets. Stuff could rove out in the middle of nowhere. You wouldn't need to recharge stuff. Things are constantly charged. And the FBI is like, okay, that's kind of weird, but <laughs> that would be helpful as well. And then Blois goes, oh yeah. And then the death ray. FBI is like, what? Wait, what? Blois is like, yeah, he built a death ray. He basically built a beam weapon that can be put on planes that can shoot down other planes. Or it can just be put on the ground and shoot down planes. It can shoot down anything. It doesn't just shoot down planes. It's a death ray. Blois also says, listen, I'll be honest with you. Sava got a locksmith, broke into Tesla's apartment, and got into his safe. (laughs) That's one crummy locksmith, right? He's like, I'll do whatever you want for a price. He got into the apartment, broke into the safe, and took out some of Tesla's documents. And Sava left the country. So Blois goes, listen, I don't know what he took. Hopefully it wasn't wasn't too destructive. But you're not too late. You see, Tesla actually has crates of just papers, of drawings and sketches and designs and stuff like that. He kept some of them at a warehouse. Other ones he kind of hid around town. I don't know the locations of all of them. I know where the warehouse is. That's what he was using some of the Czechoslovakian money for. But uh, we could get a couple of those crates. Uh, that would probably be a good start. And the FBI goes, okay, cool. Do you know how many crates there are full of documents and drawings and uh, diagrams? And Blois goes, there's 80 of them spread around the city. Like some sort of side quest on an open world video game. I don't know if they ever retrieved all 80 chests. There's possible that there's still a couple chests out there in some dusty New York basement. But they are able to secure the majority of them. So the FBI secures all the documents they can on January 8th, the day after Tesla dies. Saba took some of those documents and disappeared behind the slowly encroaching Iron Curtain. On January 9th, that memo goes out to Percy Foxworth, Chief of FBI Special Intelligence Service. On January 15th, Percy Foxworth, Special Agent Dennis Haberfield, and 33 others are on a plane flying over North Africa. Percy Foxworth was ordered to go on a mission for General MacArthur. That plane disintegrated on January 15th, 1943. It has never been determined what the cause of that accident was. Here's a quote regarding this accident. Although 35 people were on board the aircraft, search teams were only able to locate sufficient remains to be placed in a single casket. Percy Foxworth was made aware of this situation on the 9th, and six days later, his plane and everyone on it was, for really lack of a better word, disintegrated. And his group had just taken control of documents about building a death ray to shoot planes out of the sky. That story is honestly more interesting than the Venus one. Because it's true. All of it's true. To wrap this up, let's go ahead and put our conspiracy caps on for a second. It probably is a coincidence, because the world is full of coincidences, that little over a week since Tesla had died, only six days after Percy Foxworth got the memorandum talking about 
Tesla's death ray in the race to retrieve those documents. Could just be a coincidence that six days after that, his plane disintegrated in midair, which is one of the reasons why the death ray was made in the first place. Is it possible that Sava is the one who got the plans for the death ray, took them back to Czechoslovakia, and in that short amount of time with those detailed blueprints, were able to construct a death ray and use it against the plane flying over North Africa? It may have been dumb luck that they hit that plane. Or they may have known that this chief of the FBI was personally entangled in collecting the documents that Tesla had left behind. They had to take him out and set the search back until they could retrieve even more of those crates around New York City. So, dear listener, if you ever find a crate, open it up with a crowbar. It's full of documents. You can tell from the handwriting that they're written by a Czechoslovakian. Why don't you just put that crate back where you found it and forget that it ever existed? It's quite likely that simply knowing these documents exist can put you in the crosshairs of a sci-fi weapon. And if they stopped investigating the possible murder of a chief of the FBI, what happens when you get evaporated? Or me? We just become another missing person case. And when the investigators come to try to get to the bottom of it, they don't notice that it looks like something's been moved recently. They don't notice that the crate you found you were so curious about is no longer sitting in your living room. You are gone. So are the documents. And neither will never be found. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Okay.